Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. We have another interview episode of Board Game with Education coming up, but as always, we got a couple quick updates. If you have been to our website, you might have noticed we are under maintenance. That's because some really, really awesome things are coming. We are developing an online marketplace for teachers to use game-based resources and purchase board games through our site, so we're super excited to launch that. That will be up before the release of our next episode. Also, we are hosting a game-based lesson development professional development through the rest of the summer. If you're interested in that, the link to that course will be in the show notes as well. And it will be available on our website as soon as we relaunch. All right, so let's get into the show though. Welcome to another episode of Board Game with Education. I am joined by the fantastic John Bobro. He is the designer and founder of Move 38. And we're going to talk to him today about the Blinks game system. It's a smart tabletop game system. And he's going to share what that means and what that's all about. Really excited for this because I had a chance to check this game system out at PEX Unplugged last year. So I'm excited to have him on the show and chat more about this. Before we get into the topic of the episode, I want to share a fun fact about John that I learned. And he won a Gibson Les Paul guitar. But what's interesting is about, about that is how he won that. John, how did you win that guitar? So the way I won this guitar was by performing in front of about a thousand people not holding a guitar. I won an air guitar contest. Yeah, the videos on YouTube, it happened before YouTube was a thing. So the video does not have the virality I would, of course, hope it would have today. <laughs> you didn't tell me there was a YouTube video, so now I have to go watch <laughs> the <this> one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can put a link in the comments. Awesome. Would you mind sharing a little bit of, more about who you are and maybe preview a little bit of this Blinks game system as well? Yeah, of course. Well, So going back, I've always been a lover of math and art and kind of everything in between where those things meet. And maybe that's the product of being the son of an educator and an artist. My mom oil painted and my dad wrote math books for the most part and test prep books. So I've, I've always had a love for this weird intersection between the two. And I was always kind of a misfit. I applied to colleges to major in both mathematics and art, and found myself making art installations and later games to help people. My first job actually out of college was to make training systems for the military. We were using games to teach soft skills training. Those kind of experiences that I made where I got to actually use games to see how it helped change people's behavior and interact and use art in really like concrete and active ways led me to the work I did later in New York, where I built interactive museum installations. My brother and mom would describe the work I did building interactive museum installations as building minority report. We used computer vision and all sorts of high-tech solutions to make the kind of content you'd receive in the Smithsonian or the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago 
highly engaging and interactive and really kind of feel like, you know, we wanted it to feel like Disneyland. So my background in math and design really kind of applied quite strongly in these spaces of games, even though I never, never really intended from the beginning, like growing up, had you asked me if I would be making games, I was much more interested in being maybe an animator for Pixar or an architect. So you, you, when did you first get into wanting to design games? You mentioned out of college, that was your first job was designing, I guess, training simulations. Would we, would that be the correct term for the military? Was that something you had wanted to do when you got out of college or was that something that happened more out of the place and time? Yeah. So right out of college, I was doing freelance work and I was building, I was helping artists with art installations, building websites. A friend of mine saw the work I was doing and said, John, any chance you could hop in and help with this work? We're uh, building a training simulator to teach. I think it was training, it was training the military how to identify improv explosive devices and help soldiers avoid essentially being blown up. And I thought, okay, that's that's kind of interesting. You know, I'm happy to help. I'm a a pacifist. Would have to say that when it comes to all things military, I I definitely support people in in every way that they've uh, supported the great privileges I have. But that said, I'm I'm very much a uh, one world peace first kind of person. So this was a pretty interesting job in that I, I worked on this project. And then the next project was helping officers learn interpersonal communication skills. So one of the problems in the military is that college educated students go on to take on higher positions than much older subordinates. And these new graduates don't know how to really deal with the complexities of having people working beneath them, uh, having people working beneath them who have families and all these complex issues in life to deal with. And so uh, the next thing I worked on there was essentially a game around that to teach active listening. And those were, those were qualities and things that I could really get behind, but I had, did not have any intention in having my job depend on defense funding and you know, felt pretty strongly that that's not where not where I was going to uh, continue my career. So you know, I left that position to build interactive museum installations, and uh, it was in that job where I was building interactive museum installations that we built a what I call a massively multiplayer offline game. We built a game for thirty people, kids and adults, to play for the Museum of Science and Industry, and you were building the future city of Chicago. It was called Future Energy, and the goal of the game was to teach adults and kids how to uh, think about energy consumption and energy production. And so the game ranged from designing the future car to arranging the future neighborhood, creating and balancing future transportation, and then balancing the grid for the future city. And that was, I would say one of my first brushes with seeing kind of, uh, you know, the whole, whole, how the whole sausage is made. Like it was just every bit of game design from the uh, graphic design and aesthetics to writing the software and then building hardware for this physical installation in a museum installation. 
That sounds super awesome. The installation, is that something that people can kind of check out from like today, look at it and learn what it, you did in that installation? Or is that something of the past that's no longer there? I ask because I think that's something that you mentioned a massive multiplayer offline game. And I think as like teachers, that's something that like a, I guess a game format that's very applicable to our classrooms. So we have a lot of students and we want to think about ways to help our engage our students through play. And that's kind of, I think speaks to what we're looking for. Was that, I'm wondering if teachers can find some information about that or if you have any tips on what you did in that design process. Oh, totally. So the answer should be yes. So the museum installation at the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago is still up and running. The exhibit is called Future Energy. You can look it up online. The company that I was working with when we designed and built that interactive installation is called Potion, and Potion is based in New York. The process of designing that installation, I I mentioned it was for 30 adults and children, that number was very meaningful. So it was designed as a guided experience for classrooms to be able to go through multiple times a day. And so uh, students are the number one visitor to that exhibit. And I can share about that design process. It was really fascinating. So when you're designing a game for a museum that is uh, educational, you're basing you know, when you're designing a game, one of the most important things is that it's fun. And so you notice like board games in the world of board games, there's a lot of games that like are really just optimizing for fun. It's hard to justify that there is anything else on offer except for the fact that you're going to have fun while playing. But in this setting, it was very important that the material and the content not only be educational, but be accurate and based in models of the real world. And so for Future Energy, we worked with subject matter experts to understand the models of energy in the city. And so, for example, when you step up to Future House, your goal, it was a sort of hidden hidden item game where you're searching around the house trying to figure out where to save the most energy. And the learning mechanic there is that in our own homes, it's very difficult to understand what are the things that are the most impactful. You might change all of your lights from halogen to LED and save a fair amount of energy. However, you might save even more energy by getting a high efficiency fridge or simply caulking your windows and not losing all this energy because, you know, your home is not well insulated. That's awesome. I love the hands-on practicality of it too. Yeah. And it was cool. Like, I mean, it's fun to search around something and like making it really juicy when you click on stuff and like seeing, you know, those rewards of really good actions. But it's, you know, I think people walk away with it like, oh, I never really thought about the fact that my roof could have a significant impact on how efficient my air conditioner is like changing the color of your rooftop all of a sudden means you don't have to run the AC uh, with the same intensity. Right, man, that's awesome. And then you went from doing the game design or I guess interactive museum exhibits to 
more game design? Where when does the idea for the Blinks game system come in? Yeah. So in 2014, I decided that well, I didn't <laughs> somebody else kind of def- decided for me. I had applied to the MIT Media Lab. I had actually applied three times. I had applied maybe about four years prior. And when I was building interactive museum installations, I was like, this is really enjoyable. I'm going to stick with this and learn a lot. But after about four years of doing that, um, I had applied to the MIT Media Lab to a group called Playful Systems. And my goal was to really, my, my intention there was to start a company. And I wanted to build things in the space that were hands-on, but took advantage of all the complexities and exciting interactivity afforded by computation. And so I just wanted to expand on the work I was doing for museums, but build something that something that anybody could access hands-on from home and not need to not need to visit a museum to do. And so when I joined the MIT Media Lab, my first assignment there was to work on games around cooperation. And I started taking classes at Harvard and MIT around the science of cooperation. One of the classes I took was called Biologically Inspired Multi-Agent Systems. And I would say in layman's terms, it's swarm robotics, or maybe even more simply, how nature cooperates and how we can write programs to uh, simulate that. And so that class was really influential for me. And I took another class, which is uh, the craziest, most amazing class in the world. It's called How to Make Almost Anything. And everybody should have the opportunity to take this class because you learn how to make almost anything. And in that class, one of the weeks, the assignment is about communication. And I drew up these sketches for these little hexagons, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if these circuit boards could communicate with each other and we could simulate things like beehives or the ways that ants uh, use stigmergy to communicate or the way predator-prey algorithms work or the way birds flock and emerge these incredible murmurations, these formations that no single bird is leading. And so I, I designed and drew up this idea for these little hexagonal tiles. And I did not intend for them to be a game, game system. I drew them up as a platform to explore emergent behavior. It wasn't until one of my lab mates, M. Laserwalker, and a game design professor, Celia Pierce, said, hey, can we make games for these things? And I was like, sure, how about we set aside a few hours and we just do sort of a game jam. We sit down with the Blinks, or at the time they were called Automatiles, and see if we can come up with a game and make it in a few hours. And the very first time we sat down to do it, within three hours, we had made the very first game for Blinks, Fracture, which was all about creating a diverse society by moving pieces around on the game board. That's super cool. I love hearing the the history of, of the idea and the game. What would you say, how would you, because I know a little bit about the game because I saw it at PAX Unplugged and I did a little bit of more research online. How would you describe it to someone that is first encountering what this game system is? Right. If you can't see it, you got to really understand it. So 
the best way I would describe Blinks is so we say that Blinks is a smart tabletop game system. Each game piece is intelligent. They kind of look like hexagonal magnetiles. So you could think of them as like uh, mahjong tiles or dominoes, but with magnets in them. So they arrange together and create the board for you. But on each of the six faces, on each of the six sides of those hexagonal tiles, they have the ability to communicate with each other. And so when two pieces join together, they recognize each other and can respond and react. And the top surface of the blinks are these really kind of uh, almost a squishy membrane. So unlike an iPad, you have this really nice tactility where uh, you've gotten a button underneath the top and it responds to your touch. So, you know, the the mechanisms with which Blinks really live is it's, you know, they got this kind of like very construction set building block element with arcade buttons and responsiveness like a uh, high energy arcade game. And you you mentioned I think the game title is Fractured. Is that is that right? Yeah, fracture. Before before we hop into fracture, I realize I'm I'm kind of missing. I, I'm I'm leaving out a major component. Each of these individual game tiles, they are each like a Nintendo game cartridge. Each one knows its own game, and it can teach all the other tiles how to play that game. So when you've got twelve blinks with you, you've got twelve games. We wanted it to feel really like you can break it out like a board game and just play. You don't need a computer present or an iPhone uh, to load up your games. The games are embedded in the in the blinks. Oh, you're right. That's awesome, too. It's kind of a, I mean, it's in the title, a game system, right? You don't need anything else other than that, that blinks component or uh, piece. Yeah, and we'll touch on it a little bit later, but when you start making your own games you get that benefit too. Once you make a game, you can carry it with you anywhere and load it onto anybody else's blinks. Yeah, let's let's talk about that as far as games go. There's Fracture, and I remember at PAX Unplugged, you demoed for me a kind of like a bowling game. It's more dexterity-based. Flick-flop? Yeah, yeah. Flip Is flip-flop? Flick-flop. Flick-flop. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tongue twister. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say. <laughs> so what what other types of games might someone be able to play with the game system? Yeah, so in our initial 12 blinks, we wanted to show a really wide variety of games. So Fracture is a more chess-like game. You literally fracture the board. You break the pieces apart. You break the board apart and then reconfigure it. Uh, Flick Flop, as you mentioned, is a dexterity game. It's kind of like a futuristic shuffleboard where you slide the pieces and have to attach them at just the right time. Another game would be Mortals, where you're battling to conserve life. So the last living mortal is the winner. Mortals is a fast-paced real-time game. Similarly, another fast-paced real-time game is Speed Racer, where you're building the road ahead of the car. Some of the other games are more strategic. So I would say Barry is a deeply strategic game. You play with only six blinks. Uh, It was made by two game designers out of NYU Game Center. And they they participated in a game jam and made Barry in 12 hours at a game jam. And it's one of the most strategic and shockingly well-balanced games on the game system. 
There's also, <laughs> probably not for this audience, but it's uh, there's chance-based games. So Bomb Brigade is fun for all ages. It was designed by somebody with the intent of being a drinking game. So maybe teachers can break this one out after hours. <laughs> Everybody knows that after a long day of teaching 30 kids, you need something to take off the edge. Right, right, to wind down. It's super cool that there's, I feel like there's infinite possibilities as far as using or leveraging the system for teaching something too. I think you may need a background as far as understanding how game systems work and designing something like that. But I'm sure there's members in the Blink community who have or have considered ways to leverage like learning outcomes with the game. How else might someone use Blinks as an education or in an educational context? Yeah, so one of the coolest things about creating Blinks is we launched Blinks on Kickstarter. And when we launched Blinks on Kickstarter, one in five of our backers said they wanted to make their own games. And we had a lot of educators in that group as well. And so we shipped over 200 developer kits And a lot of these developer kits are in the hands of educators. And so, for example, one of our first examples with Blinks was an example called Color by Neighbor. And the Blinks simply change color based on how many neighboring pieces they have. And one of the educators wrote us and was like, this is really cool. Can I use this for talking about molecular structure and different atoms? I was like, sure. And so we've got people in our forum who are thinking about how to use Blinks and work with Blinks to teach very specific concrete topics, such as, you know, when you attach two Blinks to one Blink, it looks like an H2O molecule. And it just, you you can learn that by putting them together. And by attaching a third, in this case, hydrogen for this example, you'd get a different looking formation. And also the center oxygen would change change color in this case, because it would color by the number of neighbors it has. And so it would signal that these two things are not equal. So that's, that's kind of one, one example. I would say that Fracture, which was a game based on diversity, stems from some early papers that talk about how uh, segregation is an emergent property. And so you could do a session in a class talking about some of the ways in which these unintended consequences have emerged. So um, if you ask people to take the fracture rule set blinks and try and make them all happy, you learn about the rules you have to follow to make that the case. You might have to spread them out. You need to not have too many of the same color around each other. So that's maybe on a different end of the spectrum, social sciences, And then I'll share one other example that I think is really cool. So in our developer forum, one of our developers, uh, one of the community members posted a terrarium. And so they gave the Blinks rule sets for water, dirt, and I think the next rule set is going to be for something that grows. And uh, when you load up the code that they wrote, there's a sense of gravity and you can see the water flow from blink to blink. And if it hits a soil blink, the soil absorbs the water. Once it fully saturates, the water pools out and will continue to flow downward. And so you get to have these different pieces of an ecosystem uh, interacting with each other, and you get to freely rearrange and play with them. And I think that's 
really valuable. I think that one of my favorite things about games is that the goal of a game is not to learn something. It just happens to be a side effect. And I think one of the things that's so cool about bringing games into a classroom is that you get to present it as the goal of this is have fun, but your students get to engage hands-on with the system, learn by trial and error, and come away with all these lessons about how different pieces of a system interact and work, and they get to find them out themselves. Right, that's super awesome. I mean, as far as if I wanted to develop my own game with the Blink system, what would I need to know beforehand? Because as far as coding knowledge, I can I can use some HTML to, to center the text. That's about my limit. Maybe change the size. But would I have to have any coding background to be able to develop my own game out of it? Fortunately, you don't. I've actually taught workshops and taught students as young as, I would say, maybe eight or nine years old, how to make their own games on Blinks. And we built Blinks on top of the world's most popular hardware programming language and platform, Arduino. And so to program Blinks, you open up, you download Arduino, you download the Blinks hardware type, and then Blinks are really easy to program for. When you want a Blink to glow red, you type set color parentheses red. So I would say you and I in five minutes could make your very first Blinks program and then make a game out of it. I think one of the nice things about Blinks that's very different than making a video game is that because it's a physical object, because you interact with it, the game development, only part of it happens in the code. If I make a game that says, if button down, red, else button, set color, blue, so the button's only red when it's down and only blue when it's up, that can be a game. I can make a game where I say, okay, you hold yours, I hold mine, and first person to make it blue, or, you know, and all of a sudden you start to create the game mechanics without really needing a lot of code. And if we wanted to make a game about a specific topic, let's say I'm learning about angles in mathematics, um, I could say these blinks turn a certain color when these neighbors are attached. And now all of a sudden I've got a game rule set that makes an, you know, I could say make an isosceles triangle and the blinks only light up a specific color when it's an isosceles triangle. I actually had never really thought of that. I just thought of that now. So <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I see. I mean, I see there's like huge value in the learner being able to see their program of the game and then actually see it happen in front of them in a physical space. I see I see that as real real a lot of potential to learn that process, that kind of design process. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the coolest things about making games is that the process of making a game is I would say even more so, you know, the opportunity playing games, you have the opportunity to learn a lot, but I realized this when I was making museum installations, the process of making games asks you to think in all sorts of different ways. And so instead of answering questions, you're figuring out which questions to ask. Right. That's, that's, (laughs) you're a hundred percent correct here. I think a very important way to look at it too. Yeah. And I feel like those are the kind of skills that you 
you keep for life. And I think they're applicable for every subject. You know, I think it's very important to have a strong foundation. And I think there's value to memorization. And I think there's value to all other aspects of the ways we learn. But I think specifically, knowing how to formulate questions, knowing how to be able to then create and iterate. And game design is, you know, if not about asking the right questions, it's about learning how to fail and having a safe place to fail and fail over and over again safely so that you can succeed. And I would, I would almost argue that there's not really succeeding, there's just not failing. Like you're, you're, you're failing better. <laughs> right. You can you can always do better, right? You know, it's like in Mario, you could always complete that level faster. Right, right. Awesome. John, before we head into our final segment, I always like to ask our guests a final to give us some final words of advice. Maybe I think you just shared some really great advice now. So maybe you can maybe add on to it or share something a little bit different. But what might you share with teachers or educators about using game design or using the Blinks game system as a way or as a teaching tool? Yeah, I would say my biggest piece of advice here, whenever I've taught workshops, the students that are most hesitant, most difficult to get started, the most reluctant to get into making are the ones that dig in deepest and get the most gratification once they make something. And so games... Oftentimes, we call this onboarding. So in, in the beginning of a game, we'll, we'll create an you know, easy level for you to play first so that you can play a slightly harder one and then a slightly harder one and gain those skill sets. And I think as a, as a teacher, I would just say, I think stick with the students who are struggling to get on that first step or on the first rung of the ladder because each rung after is exponentially more valuable. And I think it's directly related to how much difficulty somebody had getting on the ladder in the first place. Like the satisfaction of getting there, you know, it's the people who had to work so hard to, uh, you know, accomplish a goal. And the cool thing about games is that working hard is fun. So like games by definition are voluntary. You know, I would say as much as you can set up that magic circle and an environment for your students to feel safe and fun and like having fun playing these games and making games, they're going to voluntarily fail over and over again until they succeed. And it's going to be awesome when they succeed. Some awesome advice that that payoff, too, is I know myself as a teacher, I love seeing that that payoff in students when they finally you know, submit that project and they're proud of what they did or they succeed in the way that they kept failing and failing and they finally, finally get it. I, I think it guides our life decisions. I mean, I think the kinds of things that I've pursued in life are the things that I found most, you know, I played baseball for 20 years and it's not because it was easy for me. It was because I could consistently get games and it was always hard. I always saw people playing better than I played. And I knew that if I continued to play, I would be able to achieve those kinds of, I would see those results. That's so true. <laughs> so John, we're going to head into the final segment, which is a thumbs up, thumbs down, quick lightning round. 
I'm gonna give you a statement and you'll give me a thumbs up if you like it and a brief reason why or thumbs down if you don't like it and a brief reason why. Awesome. <laughs> I told you, I love binary things. <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, I just came up with one. I was trying to think of some other ones, but I came up with one in our conversation and just now actually, because you mentioned you played a lot of baseball, which is a sport and maybe this might set people in the wrong direction, but wrestling is kind of a game. I guess professional wrestling. Oh, like WWE? Yeah, like WWE. It's kind of a game. It's kind of a sport. Would you give that a thumbs up or thumbs down? Oh, I can't believe you did that to me. I have to give it a thumbs down. But more recently in life, I would say all the people I know who love WWE, I give those people thumbs up. (laughs) They're just the most amazing people, but I never got it growing up. Like it's theater. It's just, it's the best kind. Like, yeah, I I get it, but I just never got into it. So personal thumbs down, but for everybody who loves it, thumbs up. (laughs) I bought into it a little bit as a kid. Uh, I don't watch it so much now, but... Is it is it still like is it still as exciting as it was as a kid? I just I guess when I watch it now it's because I'm not into what's going on it just seems so foreign and strange. <laughs> but it's yeah. modern day <laughs> opera, right? Yeah, I can see why people enjoy it though, definitely. <laughs> Maybe I would love to I would love to see I you know what? I I don't know enough about it to really make any suggestions for it. My gut sense As I understand it, WWE is like one of the most popular Facebook pages. I think like a third of the Facebook population is like, likes the WWE page. That that would make sense because I know when I was growing up watching WWE and I guess WWF, it was very like opinionated against for those different wrestlers. Like you really had strong opinions about one or the other. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm 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 typically more for things that are uh, <laughs> see the whole as greater than the sum of its parts and are non-zero sum games. Things where people lift each other up rather than than put each other down. So um, you know, more more for the uh, Move Thirty Eight as a company as well. I mean, we're we're really that's our ethos is. The, the name of the company actually stems from thinking about how we interact as people with each other and computers going forward as systems. Right, right. So the next one, so Blinks is very tactile. There's little pieces. So the next one is kind of almost in the opposite direction, virtual reality games. Oh, mm, thumbs down. I love the physicality of atoms and virtual reality games just they miss something that I love so much. I think that there are two things that they miss for me right now, and not to say that they won't get there eventually, but uh, one is that because blinks are physical, it means you get to be social, so you are hands-on and you put them in front of somebody else and you get to interact with other people. My favorite virtual reality game experience was, I believe, made by, I think, a team at Google. And you go through the process of life and you like evolve from uh, essentially a single-celled organism up to being like an ape and then eventually a human being. And then I think a robot into the future. Um, Spoiler alert. But the coolest thing about the virtual reality experience was that you did it in a space with one other person 
and that other person was like standing by your side. So like the physical presence of them being there was important for me. And then the fact that I could see them in our experience, our shared experience was really powerful. But for me, I like the taste and the smell and the touch. We've got, you know, I think virtual reality um, at the moment relies way too much on our visual cortex and that's it. Right. Yeah, it's all just what's going on around you. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have, I've played some virtual reality, but I think, I think it has a long ways to go. So, Can I share one of my favorite virtual experiences? Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not visual at all. Um, I think it was made by Disney maybe in the 50s. It's the virtual haircut. I don't, I don't know this one. All you need is a pair of stereo headphones. And these two barbers give you a virtual haircut and you can hear them and they just, all you have to do is close your eyes and it's amazing. Like the sound of the scissors, you'd swear your hair was being cut and you know exactly where they are in space. And it's just this like wonderful experience. That sounds awesome. I think I'm gonna, it's probably online. You can try it out. I'm sure you can download it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And then we're gonna go with the last one, which is kind of similar. And it probably has some things you mentioned that you enjoy, but some things missing. Uh, Role-playing games. Oh, uh, thumbs up. Oh my goodness, thumbs up. I would say, so I'm, <laughs> I, I give that thumbs up. I personally am uh, not a LARPer, I, I think, uh, but I know many. And uh, the experience of walking around, so like growing up, one of the books that not only was a book I really enjoyed, but like was a book that I think it was hammered in like the importance of was To Kill a Mockingbird, right? Like the whole idea of walking around in somebody else's shoes is just so important. And so like role-playing games give you just that. I gave a, a TEDx talk two years ago. And uh, one of the things I cite in my talk is these four freedoms of play. And one of them is a freedom from identity. And I think it's so important. I feel like everybody should be able to get the opportunity to be able to take on an alternate identity and another role, live from another person's perspective and get to take those actions and see the consequences of it. Yeah, I, I, I think our world could use more of that. Super awesome. Well, John, thank you for sharing your insights and telling us a little bit about the Blinks game system. If anyone wanted to find you or check out Blinks game system, where might they do that? Yeah, the way to find me personally is johnbobro.com. Um, but more exciting is our company move38.com. And at move38, you'll be able to find Blinks and you'll see future products popping up there as well. And we also post resources on our developer forum, which can be linked there from move38.com. And uh, feel free to reach out and interact with us through our website or social media at Move38INC, like at Move38 Incorporated. Awesome, John. Thank you again so much. Thanks, Dustin. This has been great. Thank you again for checking out Board Game with Education and tuning in to another episode. Be sure to go to BoardGameWithEducation.com and sign up for an email newsletter. That way you can be updated on when our online marketplace launches as well as other resources related to game-based learning, gamification, and games and education. 
Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games, or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening, and until next time. 